Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. Your governor, Kathy Hochul, joined a groundbreaking this week for Plug Power's newest manufacturing facility. The Legislative Gazette's Dave Lucas was there and filed this report. Speaking outdoors at the Vista Technology Campus in the Albany County hamlet of Slingerlands, Hochul said transitioning to clean green energy won't just help respond to climate change and lower utility costs, it will supercharge economic recovery and create good jobs and most of all, lower our dependence on foreign oil. The Democrat referenced the conflict in Ukraine as she called on New Yorkers to stand together. And we don't want to have Russian oil in this country when they continue that path of aggressive behavior toward their neighbors. So we have to send a message, just like we did in New York a couple weeks ago when I said, no more investments, we're divesting, no more business with any companies from Russia. It all shuts down right now, as well as being so willing to open up our hearts and our homes and our communities to the refugees and literally upwards of millions now are having to flee that, that situation. So, so it all comes down to how we can isolate Russia and weaning ourselves from their oil is an important part of that. Plug Power CEO Andy Marsh agrees events taking place on the world stage today say a lot about why we need alternative energy. Without it, you know, we're going to be dependent upon the Russian gas station forever. And when you look at what we're doing here in New York, and New York is Plug's home, we can help solve that problem. And here at this facility, ultimately will be 300,000 square feet. Manufacturing, up and running in August 1 of this year, will employ 1,600 people. And this is just the start. The groundbreaking was a ceremonial one as construction to build, outfit, and equip Plug Power's new plant is already underway. The $55 million facility will be used for expanding production, warehousing, and servicing of Plug's GenDrive line of hydrogen fuel systems, drop-in fuel cells for existing electric truck fleets. Hochul says New York has committed $45 million in state tax credits. This is going to create over 1,633 jobs over five years. That's music to my ears. I love this. Hochul says such initiatives will bring New York to prominence as a global leader in green technology. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Dave Lucas. Listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartalk. Alan, 
New York State poll, former Governor Cuomo potentially trails Governor Hochul by four points in a Democratic primary. It's the latest Emerson College, The Hill poll. It finds a majority, 63% of New Yorkers, think former Governor Andrew Cuomo should not reenter public office, while 24% think he should, and 14% are unsure. That said, and if former Governor Cuomo does challenge Governor Hochul in the Democratic primary, a hypothetical ballot test shows him trailing Hochul by just four points, 37 to 33%, with 9% under decided and it combined 21% voting for other candidates. And this interesting tidbit, based on his Ah. recent speech at a black church, Cuomo holds the highest support among black voters in the Democratic primary for governor. I told you, and I predicted this was going to happen months ago. Cuomo's not done. In order to understand Cuomo, you have to understand his character, or at least try to. This is not a guy who gives up. Now, these numbers mean nothing right now because the election's still a little bit away. Think about it, David. People are going to say who they're for based on their expectations of who could win. If it looked like Hochul was a shoe-in, Cuomo would not be coming this close. But once people see how close it is, some people... People may want to vote for Cuomo. We have seen with Donald Trump that accusations of sexual harassment and other things don't go that far in this country. You know, a lot of women voted for Trump. Go figure. And to me, if he's four points behind, the Hochul people must be sweating a bit. Very interesting conversation this week with Tom Swazi, the congressman from Long Island. He's a Democrat. Mm. He's held every position from mayor of Glen Cove on Long Island, Nassau County executive. He's run for governor in the past and not fared well. Now he's jumped in again, and this has created consternation among the party. He is resolute about running, and he's taken some opposing positions on many of the big issues facing Democrats, including bail reform and redistricting. Well, let me give you an insight into Tom Swasey. He is unafraid. He likes to challenge the dragon, and he puts his head into the cave, and what comes, comes. He's done it before. He's doing it now. Now, the real question is, what about the organized Democrats in New York State who are so behind Kathy Hochul? The question becomes, will there be a number of people who go in to vote who say, I don't like being told who to vote for. I don't like being told that this is the only person that I have a choice with. And, of course, Swazi, I asked him about it. He's challenging Kathy Hochul, who is a woman and is the first woman governor. And the conventional wisdom is that that is a mistake. But he's going forward on the assumption that he can win. Now, when people are deprived of choices, sometimes they take them. Right now, the polls show Swazi way behind. But if, in fact, he offers a substantive alternative to Hochul, there may be people who go in there and vote that way. Right now, the polls, as I say, are saying, no, it's not going to happen. But as you know, David, things can change very quickly. I think Swazi may have a shot here because people need an alternative. And if he says what they want to hear, for example, on bail reform and other things, he could bring it off. Yeah, and what about redistricting? He wasn't afraid to sort of blast his own party and say they've gone too far here. Yeah, look, he doesn't have to poll to know, although I'm sure they are, to know that people don't like it when the game is unfair or loaded. In redistricting, the Democrats have basically said, we're going to do for New York State what the Republicans have done in other states. We're going to redistrict so that only Democrats will win or mostly Democrats will win. And he says people don't like it. At least theoretically, they don't like it. So he says, all right, I'll have some of that too. 
So, Alan, why leave the Congress to run for governor? Well, he's a very ambitious man. We've known that for a long time. But the thing about Swazi that is so fascinating is that he doesn't mind the potential negative consequences. A lot of politicians say, I'm only going to do what's safe. That's not Swazi. He says, oh, I think I'd like to be governor, so he tries to be governor. And if he doesn't get to be governor, he says, oh, well, I'll wait till the next time and I'll do it again. This is a guy who is very ambitious and has a lot of good ideas and is unafraid to take on those in power. People respect that. You and I have been talking now for years about the fact that in Massachusetts, where you live, marijuana is legal. And New York has lost a lot of this revenue to other states like Massachusetts because it's been moving slow, even though it's legal Mm -hmm. in New York. And one of the things that New York has tried to do that other states have struggled with is to make those that were convicted under the draconian Rockefeller drug laws get the first taste of the legal industry. And state officials said this week that people with marijuana-related convictions will get dibs on the first 100 to 200 Mm. retail cannabis licenses awarded by the state. But the price of marijuana in New York hasn't killed the black market. Hey, David, John Q. Public reads a story like this. And they say, is this right that we should be saying that the people who were selling marijuana have a right to be selling it once we've made it legal? Now, it's a very complex question, and I don't know the answer, but I can tell you one thing that I do know and that people are not going to like it. And so if you say we will have a class of people who had broken the law, who now have the right to sell it, there will be a lot of sympathy for that among some groups. But there will also be a counter-reaction to it, people who just don't like it at all. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Charton. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The Adirondack Council Ground Alliance is a diverse group of organizations, local leaders, and residents that work together on issues that affect the six million acre Adirondack Park. During its recent winter meeting, participants discussed four key areas affecting the region. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. The Common Ground Alliance has released its 2022 version of the Blueprint for the Blue Line, which outlines policy recommendations for the state from interests within the Adirondack Park. Alliance core team member Ross Whaley says the latest blueprint moves the focus within the park. Since the very beginning in 2008, The Common Ground Alliance is focused on speaking with one voice to Albany. Today, however, we've changed that. We want to speak to one another. This past summer, you, the Common Ground Alliance, created the first ever community blueprint. This community blueprint focused on housing, creating vibrant economies, community-based recreation, climate change mitigation and adaptation. The the purpose of this, this community blueprint, is to inspire and motivate action by us, the local residents. Town of Morehouse Supervisor Bill Farber says the community blueprint reflects the evolution of the work of the Common Ground Alliance. In the Albany blueprint, we were really trying to focus on 
what from the common ground agenda aligned with Albany's agenda and how to get things done there. It frankly is much easier to figure out how to critique Albany than it is to figure out how to work together and get to yes on some of these detailed issues as it applies to something as complex as the housing issues, workforce housing, housing affordability, working with and through the community blueprint and the communities to do those things rather than simply critiquing what Albany does. So I think this is an exciting evolution of CGA. Town of Chester Supervisor Craig Leggett presented the four priorities in the new community blueprint that breakout groups subsequently discussed. Housing at all levels is a problem and we need to deal with it. Creating vibrant economies, a place with things to do, with good amenities and services, jobs and opportunities, community engagement, add up to be a vibrant economy. Community-based recreation, each community will create their own blend of recreational assets. Climate change mitigation and adaption. There's some things we can control and some things that are way beyond our control. This is the reason there is a common ground forum. This is the place to work out workable solutions for the benefit of our communities. Following breakout sessions, the discussions on the four priority topics were summarized for all attendees. During the report on housing issues, Marcy Neville outlined an overall approach to the issues. Think locally, think hamlet density, and think outside the box. There's a lot you can do, and, you know, because the communities are small, it doesn't take a lot to make a difference. The Common Ground Alliance is planning an in-person meeting at Gore Mountain on June 15th. You can watch the Adirondack Common Ground Alliance Winter Meeting at WAMC.org. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Thanks to billions of dollars in federal COVID-19 relief funds, New York, for the first time in recent years, received more federal money than it sent to Washington in taxes. According to a new report from Democratic State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, New York in fiscal year 2020 received $146 billion more in federal spending than was paid in total taxes to the federal government. DiNapoli notes all states had a positive balance of payments in 2020 due to the unprecedented influx of federal relief funds tied to the pandemic. DiNapoli also says in fiscal year 2020, of every tax dollar paid to Washington, New York received $1.59, an increase of 91 cents from the prior year, but still below the national average of $1.92. It's certainly welcome news for a change to say that we're getting more money back from Washington than we send, and that's certainly reflective of the huge influx of billions of dollars as part of the federal response to the COVID pandemic. With New York being hit early and so hard, the state needed to benefit from those federal dollars. Well, this week, the Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickett sat down with the controller to talk about the report. 
It's certainly welcome news for a change to say that we're getting more money back from Washington than we send. And uh, that's certainly reflective of the huge influx of billions of dollars as part of the federal response to the to the COVID pandemic. Obviously, New York being hit early and so hard, uh, we needed to benefit from those federal dollars. And that, that really is the big change in the, the dynamic in terms of the balance of payments for New York. But good things don't last, right? Well, that's exactly the point. You know, this is temporary in terms of those federal dollars. And my uh, view is that when those monies are all spent down, when we go back to uh, a more normal time, you will probably see uh, the the imbalance that we saw prior to COVID, that that'll probably come into play once again. Uh, and, and, and that's the concern. Even when you look at you know, the uh, getting dollar fifty nine cents back for every dollar that we sent. The national average is dollar ninety two. So, compared to other states, we're still and then the average we're still behind. The good news is we're on the plus side. But um, you know, my my view is that we'll, we'll go back to the prior trend uh, in short order. But uh, at least it's positive news for today. Can you explain why that dynamic exists to begin with? Like separate from the pandemic changes. Uh, why is this imbalance in place? Well, there, there are probably different reasons. I mean, one reason is that, you know, New York is a uh, wealthier state by comparison. So since a great deal of federal uh, revenues are derived from uh, progressive income tax, when you have a state that's wealthier, and, and, and not that we don't have a lot of poor people, because we do, but we also have a lot of very wealthy people. So they, they are going to contribute uh, an outsized percentage of, of tax revenue. And, and, you know, some folks argue when they see these reports that New York will probably always be uh, more a donor state than a, a state that benefits. But, you know, I think our point, and Senator Moynihan, who really began this whole process, is to try to move the needle uh, more more closely to some level of, of parity. And, and you know, I, we, we have to acknowledge that um, there, there are some parts of, of the federal budget where New York tends to do better compared to other states. You know, uh, some of the uh, benefit programs like Medicare, like food assistance, like uh, SSI, you know, Medicaid, these are some of the categories where uh, New York actually fares better than, than, than many other states. So it's not so much that we... You know, although the, the the net number has been a negative, there are some programs where, in fact, New York benefits more strongly than than some other states. Again, because of the mix of our population and how the the federal money uh, is distributed. I, I also think, and you saw this with the uh, response to uh, to COVID, we've benefited from having you know Chuck Schumer as uh, Senate Majority Leader and and, and uh, our congressional delegation in the majority in both houses. So when they structured some of these relief programs, uh, you know, be it uh, the Paycheck Protection Program or, you know, money for health care, uh, money for transit, the way the formulas were set up, uh, you know, our state benefited from that. So having the political clout uh, of our congressional delegation and, you know, I would say the White House as well uh, and New York supported uh, the president, uh, you know, I think that's helped us as well. What that will mean for the future, especially if there are any political changes down there in Washington, you know, remains to be seen. Well, that's a good uh, place to follow up because we know the midterms are looking uh, somewhat perilous for the Democrats. And we also know New York will be losing a member of Congress in uh, the latest round of redistricting. So in the long run, uh, do you expect that, you know, things will revert to where they were in terms of this imbalance? 
You know, it, 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 it's so hard to say. Um, you know, keep in mind, uh, we did lose a seat, but there are, also, there are also new maps that have come up. So certainly for New York, the expectation is that uh, uh, the number of Democratic representatives will increase. We saw, you know, just recently the Supreme Court uh, did not overturn um, more uh, fairly drawn maps in, in two states when uh, the Republicans have been trying to reverse that. So it may not be as dire uh, in terms of a political dynamic as, as folks might have projected initially. And I think we also have to recognize there's, there's incredible uh, uncertainty in the political environment, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was like, oh, you know, inflation is going to really hurt Biden and the Democrats. Well, you know, now everybody's looking at Ukraine and what has been our response. And I think, you know, from much of what I hear, uh, people feel the Biden administration has been providing the appropriate leadership. So we hope that that situation resolves soon and peacefully. It, you know, that's that's probably uh, too optimistic a, a view right now, given what's happening. But if, if that situation resolves and, and the United States leadership is helpful in resolving it to minimize the harm to the Ukrainian people, I think that will boost the prospects for the president's popularity and by extension for the Democratic Party as well. So and then if, if certainly if, if inflation gets, uh, you know, gets tamed, that, that will be a big factor. So I think, look, there's so many variables out there. March is way too soon to, to really uh, start betting on on which party is going to control the House, which party is going to control the Senate. You know, the last time we talked, uh, it was when you released your analysis of Governor Hochul's budget plan. Uh, I wanted to get you to react to something she said this week. She was asked about how the budget may be impacted by the volatility we're seeing uh, largely tied to uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Here's what she said. The surpluses we have from tax receipts, the stock market, as well as stimulus funds, will not be there in the future. So I already budgeted in a way that does not have out-year growth. Everything that we're putting in our budget, we're going to be able to fund. But I'm also very cognizant of the fact that we could be facing a recession and that I cannot count on the revenues, you know, the tax receipts, as well as the uh, stock market revenues generated for us as being there even next year. So it doesn't mean we're taking something out, but it means that we're going to be very thoughtful, as I have been, about what the growth and the out years of our expenses are. Now, initially, Comptroller DiNapoli, you were uh, pushing for uh, maybe an even more um, ambitious approach to building New York's reserves. Uh, Should lawmakers and the governor be doing anything differently based on uh, this latest uncertainty? Well, I I think her her comments and observations were right on target. And I do think it it underscores the importance of, of building up the reserves uh, in a more ambitious way than uh, than even she has proposed, and and you know we've talked about not having them be informal reserves, but but you know statutory protected reserves. I think the main the main concern that I would have right now is that as the budget's being negotiated, we are in a strong uh, position with our finances today. But the concern is those out years. So if there are going to be any add-ons to the budget, and that's often what happens, right, especially when you have money. And I think, Ian, it's an election year. Sometimes that has a, a plays a role in the oh, really? deliberations. <laughs> uh, it's very important that any, any new spending uh, not be of a recurring nature. What I mean by that is, is to create new programs that will be baked into future budgets, uh, would be a mistake because, t- to the governor's point, 
there, there's tremendous volatility right there uh, uh, that's facing us, uh, both in terms of prices because of in inflation, absolutely because the federal money is not not forever. Um, and, you know, she mentioned the stock market. You know, Wall Street's done very well in recent years. Again, what that will mean, we have a, a long way to go before we see what the, the end-of-year numbers are going to be uh, in, in that regard. But uh, right now, our financial plan has no out-year budget gaps projected, and we haven't had that in anyone's memory. But if you start making spending commitments of a recurring nature, you will start to go back to the days of, of, of budget gaps uh, much more easily than, than, than if you're – if you're being thoughtful about it. So I guess that would be my concern. I think the governor's right. If the legislature is going to add any spending, it, it should not be of a recurring nature unless they're going to back it up with, uh, with, with revenues um, and uh, absolutely building up those reserves more aggressively. All of, all of that needs to be in the mix. And we should just say we haven't seen the one house uh, budget bills yet from the Assembly and Senate. Um, just one more thing while I have you. There's also uh, some debate that's uh, come up about doing away with uh, gas sales tax uh, as prices at the pump have reached record highs. And here's what Governor Hochul had to say about that this week. I've actually looked very closely at this and had a conversation with our budget department last night and again today to analyze the question, which is this. If we reduce the taxes, now we have funding dedicated toward transit, uh, the MTA downstate, roads and bridges upstate. So if you're willing to ensure, if you can ensure that that money is actually going to end up in the pockets of consumers, it has my attention. What do you say? Uh, is it a good idea to do away with gas sales tax right now? Well, I mean, look, every, everybody's uh, feeling the pinch at the pump, right? So uh, that, that's one of the proposals. It's certainly worthy of consideration. I mean, at the end of the day, that's the call of the governor and the legislature. And in a year where we do have revenues coming in higher than projected, at least on a temporary basis, you could consider it. Will it really move the needle very much? It, it, it absolutely might not. And I think to the governor's point, what's the guarantee to be sure that uh, the money is going to go back in the in the pockets of New Yorkers, New York consumers, and not just end up, you know, in, in, in the profits along the way. So, look, they're, look, they're considering it. We have the money, certainly, to, to have that as an item uh, to think about. But, you know, uh, whether or not that, that's going to be the most effective response to this, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's anybody's guess right now. But, look, you certainly can kick it around. If you're going to do it, make sure the consumers actually benefit from it. Uh, and and if you do it, it really needs to be a, a temporary reduction from my point of view, because of the spike that we're seeing now, you know, certainly none of us want to see that to be a permanent spike. But uh, I think it's just so tied to the global situation and what's happening in Ukraine that, again, we all pray will be resolved sooner than later in, in a positive way. New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, he's a Democrat. Uh, thank you, as always, for taking the time to speak with us. Always great to be with you, Ian. Thank you. That's the Legislative Gazette's Ian Pickus speaking with New York State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2210. Or just listen or schedule a podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time. For more news on New York State government and politics for the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustino.